Ontology, The Waystation of Red Pill Sanity Written by William Leo Translated by Deep L and a Human Read for you by Eric, Jenny, Mia, and many other bots Previously in the Ontology podcast series Because of the existence of such institutions, it is hard to avoid becoming an empire because the system itself had its own power. This institution, which can scare the Communist Party, should probably mirror the Communist Party. It also needs bureaucratic institutions and armies as large as the Communist Party, otherwise, you can't oppose the latter. For McCarthy, this was very painful because he had a close flesh and blood connection with the American community, it was a great pain for him to leave politics. But for Ayn Rand, it did not matter. She was what I call a rootless wanderer from the very beginning. Season 2 Lords and Wanderers Episode 7 Cold War Liberalism and Neoconservatism Although McCarthy died early, Cold War Liberalism did not fail to produce its own antithesis. After the far-left movement during the Vietnam War, it is fair to say that those who had been more centrist and willing to accept Cold War liberalism intuitively felt that something was wrong and needed to find new sources of ideology. This is when Barry Goldwater, who we all know was Reagan's trailblazer, appeared. Goldwater's relationship with Reagan was almost like the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. John said he came to prepare the way for the Lord, and Goldwater was the one who cleared the way for Reagan. Neoconservatism, which reached its peak during the far-left Vietnam War, embodied a backlash from the traditional American political spirit. It was represented by people like William Frank Buckley Jr. ideologically. Prior to that, there was no formed conservatism or no established theory of conservatism in the United States. Conservatism, you could say it could be practiced, and it had an ambiguous reality as a way of life, but it didn't have a theory. If there was a theory, McCarthy wouldn't have engaged in any un-American activities. If there was a theory, he would have just brought it out. The reason why it was called un-American activities is because there was no theory, and it's not even clear what exactly it was. After the Buckley era, American conservatism began to have a theory of its own. This theory does not need to be introduced in detail. You can find out for yourself what American neoconservatism is by looking up Buckley and his fellow writers and looking up President Reagan's policy agenda. What makes this neoconservatism tenable was that it was not a desperate, backward-looking conservatism of the McCarthy era. Backward-looking conservatism had a fatal flaw, which was that the kind of American way of life they wanted to restore could only be justified if the United States remained a neutral country like Switzerland. They could not answer the question. If America really returned to the good old days like the George Washington era, how could such an America resist the Soviet Union? If it couldn't resist the Soviet Union, then wouldn't all this effort be in vain? Once the Soviets infiltrate, what kind of traditional freedom would there be to speak of? Since the Soviets were there, no matter how bad the bureaucracy was, we still had to have a bureaucracy, no matter how much nonsense the CIA was doing, since USSR had the KGB, we had to have the CIA. The Soviets had millions of troops there, no matter how good you say the militia was, the militia still couldn't compete with the standing army anyway. There were simply no alternatives to these solutions. If you can't provide a solution that can cope with realpolitik, you are considered incompetent. This is how Cold War liberalism must have been able to overcome traditional conservatism. What are the characteristics of neoconservatism? On the one hand, 
it carried forward the values of American tradition, the spirit of community autonomy, the spirit of individual freedom, independence, and responsibility, and promoted the spirit of the capitalist market economy. But on the other hand, it allows and supports the United States to play its imperial role. It demands and supports the United States to promote its liberal values around the world, to fight back against the evil empire, and to strengthen liberal values through this process. This explains why neoconservatism can compete with Cold War liberalism. That's the fundamental reason why Reagan was able to emerge after Goldwater. So as we all know that after FDR and Joseph McCarthy, in the 1980s, the third turning occurred and manifested in the Reagan Revolution, which gave rise to present America. This will not be described in detail because we should all know it well enough. McCarthy was long dead by this time, but Ayn Rand was still alive. You might think she had been an implacable enemy of Cold War liberalism and had been fiercely opposing it with her writings and other various forms of propaganda and agitation. Is she supposed to be friendly with Goldwater and Buckley? Yet no. Although she supported Goldwater's election at one point, her relationship with Buckley had been terrible. Not only did she have a bad relationship with Buckley alone, but there was always a very strong sectarian battle between Ayn Rand and the small circle of intellectuals around her and the small circle of American neoconservatives. Basically, they all looked at each other in a bad light, and the two sides soon parted ways. Because the American market was huge enough, they rarely interacted afterward. Although Rand lived into the 80s, she basically had nothing new to say during the Reagan Revolution. In contrast, this was the era when Buckley and his friends were making their mark. The fundamental reason for their disagreement was, in a labeling way, Christianity, in a more profound way, it was rooted in the contradiction between organic intellectuals and wanderers. Christianity itself is much more than a matter of doctrine. While Christianity has a variety of religious and social roles, the key is that the ecological niche of the same religion can vary from society to society. In Protestant-dominated American society, church-related organizations are the most important social resource and social capital. It can be said that most people who come out of mainstream American society have grown up with close ties to their neighborhoods and their churches. The church for them is not an abstract concept, but the companions one grew up with, the therapists one seeks for counseling when his marriage goes wrong, and the organizations one needs to contact with in order to hold charity activities. These organizations, while not churches, per se, are often YMCAs or organizations with strong Christian characteristics. Even though they're not McCarthy, they have the same close, deep, and real connection to these organizations as McCarthy did. Growing up in such a social network, even if one leaves the original community and becomes a dissociated intellectual, there is no way to cut off the imprint of one's childhood. This is an organic intellectual. However, Ayn Rand was always an inorganic intellectual, a wanderer. She viewed any issue from an abstract perspective. Christianity in her eyes is nothing but a kind of ideological ruling power. She was just like those Chinese Enlightenment activists in the 1980s who thought, I have managed to escape the unified ideology of communism with great difficulty. Why should I accept the unified ideology of Christianity? All unified ideas are bad, no matter if you are Christian, Islamic or communist. The traditional spirit of America is not to speak of communalism as represented by Christianity, but of extreme individualism, the individualism of a very few gifted individuals. 
It is equivalent to the gifted protagonist portrayed in her novels, who would jump out like a revolutionary against the whole society at any time. That was absolutely intolerable in the eyes of American neoconservatives. For American neoconservatism, community autonomy in America was American freedom itself. If there was anything in America that was different from the Soviet Union, different from the world, something that should be shared with the world, something that was worth preserving for the world, it was the American community culture. If someone came forward and opposed this community culture like an adventurer, then not only was he not a friend and defender of freedom, he was the enemy of freedom. This fundamental disagreement resulted in two phenomena. The Randists were always an intellectual and elite phenomenon that never reached the people, and the second was that Rand and her henchmen played essentially no role in the era of the eventual shift to neoconservatism in America. It was later said that the sales of Rand's works approximated the Bible, which I think is certainly not true. If the rankings were only for academic works, then Rand's works must sell better than most academic works. But I don't believe it could compare to those popular Christian books, like Streams in the Desert by L. B. Kalman. I haven't done any research, but from my intuitive understanding of American society, I believe that the best seller is definitely the Bible, the second place is likely some church-published family manual or something like Streams in the Desert, and the third place could be a detective novel, a thriller, or something similar. Then you would find Rand's books outside of the top 50. This is a reflection of Rand's true status in America. She couldn't get rid of her origins ultimately. She was a stranger wherever she was. Yet it no longer matters. What is meant by the divine will? The divine will is that the forces that oppose you will eventually work for you. Although FDR and his New Deal allies did not want to make America an empire, although McCarthy and the opponents of the New Deal did not want to make America an empire, and although neither the supporters nor the opponents of the Vietnam War thought of America as an empire, the combined force of their actions pushed America step by step on the path to becoming an empire. When the New Deal pushed America to the left, it brought America one step closer to be an empire, when Cold War liberalism pushed America to the right, it brought America one step closer to be an empire, when the neoconservatives pushed America even further to the right, it made this America more of an empire than ever before. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast series produced by Luminous Society. Luminous Society provides you with an alternative historical narrative.